0: This is the Commission Church Online. Welcome to our podcast. We want to be a church who brings heaven on earth through the Word of God and the love of Christ. I pray this week's message blesses you. Thank you guys for joining us again. Uh, We are in a sermon series on the book of Habakkuk. Uh, Like I said earlier, we're a Bible-believing church, but one of the ways we practice that is by studying the Word of God for what it is. Uh, We try to do word studies or Bible studies uh, where we go through books of the Bible and we break it down Sunday after Sunday. And right now we're in the book of Habakkuk. It is a book very uh, less preached from. Uh, I haven't heard many sermons from the book of Habakkuk, uh, but maybe a verse or two picked out from the chapter. But here's a chapter that is loaded, or uh, here's a book that is loaded with goodness, I would say, and nuggets of faith and understanding in a walk with Christ. Uh, you know, Throughout the book, throughout the Bible, we see uh, that the Bible is divided into many books, historical books, prophetic books, and then we come to the New Testament, we have the Gospels and the letters, so on and so forth. But in the Old Testament, uh, there is a majority of the Old Testament that is dedicated to the prophetic voice of God. All the minor prophets give God's message to the people. But Habakkuk is slightly different in that he doesn't have a prophetic voice that he is sharing with people. He is the only prophet that actually gives the people's message or the pains of the people and what the people are going through back to God. Because this book is actually a series of conversations that this prophet called Habakkuk has with God. And we are approaching the final chapter of Habakkuk. It's a small book with three chapters. And in this final chapter, in chapter number three, as we approach it, it's important to have context. And I know a lot of you have been going through this series with us. And for those of you who haven't, uh, we, we love taking notes here. So grab a pen, grab your uh, phone maybe, your tablet, whatever it is. Uh, take some notes today because this is going to be a good message as we are approaching the third chapter of the book of Habakkuk. So if we have to track back and just kind of do a rewind of, uh, of, of what happened over the last two chapters. Habakkuk starts off by complaining to God that he's getting sick of the way things are around him. He's not happy. He's tired of the sin of the people of Judah. He's, he's tired of the suffering, the evil, the injustice, and he's asking God, God, what are you gonna do about this situation? So what does God do? God gives him an answer. And God says, as a matter of fact, I don't have a plan. I'm getting ready to do something. And he also adds on and he says, if I try to tell you, you will not understand. Yeah, and he looks at him and says, you know, but, but I kinda have a, a, an idea. And he says, do you know those nasty, mean, wicked people that live next door to you? And and Habakkuk goes, the Babylonians, the the Chaldeans? And, And God goes, yup. He says, they've been waiting. God says, they've been waiting to attack you for a very long time. But I, in my infinite mercy, have been protecting you. And he says, since your people keep sinning and keep disobeying and keep ignoring me and my commands and my precepts, I've decided that I'm going to let the Babylonians come over and I'm going to let them rough you up for a little bit. And he gives them uh, gives him kind of an insight as to what these Babylonians are going to do, right? Habakkuk thinks about this for two seconds and he doesn't miss, miss a beat. He says, mm, Lord, uh, is there a plan B? Because that doesn't sound like a great idea. This doesn't sound like the prayer or the answer that I was hoping for, right? He was praying for a breakthrough. He was praying for an answer. How many of y'all get answers that you don't like from God? right? Habakkuk is dealing with one of these things and he's like, Lord, I I hope there's a plan B because plan A doesn't sound really cool, right? Because he was explaining this to God and he takes this whole chapter and he says, I don't know if you forgot God, but I actually live in the same city too. The same city that you're going to destroy, the same city that you're going to bring under judgment, but I'm not one of those bad guys is what Habakkuk is saying, He's like, Lord, can, can we work this thing out Cause, because I know that you're a good God and, and I know that we're not that bad. He says, the Babylonians, Lord, they are worse. They are horrible. They are obnoxious people. But, but Lord, do you really have to have them beat us? It's like the Dallas Cowboys fans looking at God and saying, God, why the Texans? Why did they have to beat us in the preseason? And God has to remind us, don't worry, it's just the preseason, right? It's one of those bad situations. I know we have some Houstonians over here, including my wife, and she's staring me down and saying the couch belongs to you tonight. But it's okay. His answer is, how could you use them to punish us? He says, that's not fair, God. God, you're supposed to be a fair God. I don't understand this. And he says, God, you've got some explaining to do. It's a challenge that he poses before God. And while I'm talking about this, some of you all could probably relate with what I'm talking about. If you've had an experience like that with God where you thought, God, this just doesn't seem fair, then you can relate with the story of Habakkuk because when this chapter one ends, Habakkuk still does not understand and he's still questioning why God is being unfair. God, why aren't you being fair? I don't understand. And when we go through this encounter of crisis of belief like Habakkuk is going, we have three options. We've talked about this. A lot of people want to try to go back to their last point of spiritual high that they've been at and, and lie to themselves that they're not going through a spiritual uh, dry patch. Uh, uh, the others might say, God, if you're not going to do what I want, if you're not going to let things happen that, that I think are unfair, then, you, then, then forget you. I'm not going to follow you anymore. I'm out of here. They check out. And there's a third category of people, and, 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 and you hang on, and you continue to follow God, and you'll be content with God, even when you don't understand. And if you do that like Habakkuk did, you'll get to chapter number two, right? And in chapter number two, Habakkuk goes into a season of waiting. We talked about this, and we concluded this last Sunday. God tells him to be quiet and to listen, because God wants to speak. And God tells him to take notes and write it down, so it won't be forgotten while he's waiting. He says, write it down on tablets and, 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 and make sure that it's clear so that those that read this may run with it. And that's important because when we have to wait, we tend to forget what God has showed us. It's important to take those notes down. We talked about that last week but, or, or two weeks ago. And then finally, we're, we're about to get into chapter number three. And in chapter number three, we're going to see something very, very powerful. We're going to see that even though Habakkuk's circumstances don't change, Something else is about to change. His faith in God is about to take a turn. He worships God on a completely different level. He uses his dejection. He uses his pain. He uses his suffering and his questioning and redirects it into worship to God. And he says, God, I may not understand, but I am going to trust in you because you have it under control. So with that foundation laid, we're going to dive right into Habakkuk chapter number 3. As Habakkuk provides the answer to the book's main question, why God is there suffering and, and, and when will you answer and when will you come through? And the answer in chapter number three is simply, yes, yes, I will come through for you. All right. So verse number one of chapter number three, a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according, according to Shigionoth, Shigionoth. All right. Some of you are saying, shiggy what? <laughs> and, 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 and that's exactly what I said too. I had to actually go in and understand and see what exactly this meant because this isn't the word that's used a lot in the Bible. But actually, uh, the word shigianot is the Hebrew word that not a lot of people absolutely know the meaning of, but it's translated with the Greek word meaning song or a song of exuberance. Uh, of sorts. Uh, it's the, it was described as a wild, enthusiastic, triumphal uh, music that was sung to God because of emotions involved and, and people that were going through stuff, and they would sing songs and psalms to the Lord. It was a pro- pro- prophetic psalm that had a very poetic tune to it, uh, you know, uh, Corrie ten Boom uh, has a great quote that we could use, is probably a subtitle to this message, and it goes like this, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. If you look at God, you'll be at rest. Throughout this series, we've been understanding as to how important it is for us to be content with God. Jerry in his deep voice was introducing our video to us. And when we were trying to put this sermon series video to us, we were trying to figure out who do we use. And and we're like, Jerry, he has this deep voice. And I can never emulate it. I have this high-pitched voice. But uh, he, he reminds us Sunday after Sunday as we get into our sermon series, it's the importance of being content with God. And what we're about to watch is this prophet that is about to turn his worry into worship. A prayer that he's about to give to the Lord in form of a song. In verse number two, he says, Oh Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, revive it, God. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. In the NLT, it's translated like this: I have heard all about you, Lord. And I am filled with awe by your amazing works. He says, I've heard a lot about you, Lord. I've, I know what you have done. It's amazing how the worship team just broke out into some spontaneous worship. And you know, spontaneous worship, sometimes you don't, you're, you're trying to look for the lyrics on the screen and, and some of y'all are looking bad at Lakshmi and like, Lakshmi, go hit next. We need those words. And those are not words that they're Holy Spirit driven. Does that make sense? It's Holy Spirit puts it inside of you and, and says, hey, this is what the worship, this is what the church needs at this moment. And it's amazing how exactly what happened during spontaneous worship and how the presence of God just moved here was a confirmation to what I'm about to preach this, this morning. It's amazing. All right. It's, that's how God works. And he says, Lord, I've heard all about you, Lord. I've heard what you did yesterday. I heard what you've done years ago. I heard what mommy told me. I heard what daddy told me. I heard what I I learned through life circumstances. And all of that has told me that you're a good, that you're a faithful, that you're an amazing God, and I can put my trust in you. Verse number two, if you go to the New King James Version, it reads like this, O Lord, I have heard your speech, and I was afraid, O Lord. Revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. I want us to remember this as we approach this study. Notice that Habakkuk begins with a prayer to Jehovah. He says, O Yahweh. In many of our translations, it just says Lord, but the original, the Hebrew word that's used over there is this word Yahweh, the covenant name of God. I want to remind some people sitting here today, God has an eternal covenant with each one of you. Covenant to bless you, to protect you, to keep you. A covenant that looks at you and says, I will be with you even till the end of time. We have that in the sermon introduction video. He never promised you a good, comfortable life. He doesn't say that your life will be without pain or suffering, but he tells you that no matter what you go through in your life, I promise that I will be with you even till the end of time. You know what the promise is? The promise is because I live, you shall also live. That is the promise. Amen. And as we understand this, he begins understanding this. But he addresses God in his covenant name, the God who keeps covenant. This is important because we're going to come back to this. So put your finger on that undoubtedly Habakkuk is forever changed by this encounter that he's had with God in the first two chapters. And how do we know so? Because he's no longer accusing God of not hearing, right? In Habakkuk 1, 2, he was pointing fingers of God. He was wagging his finger at God. He was upset and mad. He was staring his hair out. He was using all the words in his prophetic dictionary, the right words, the wrong words. He was using it all. And suddenly his tone has changed. And why has it changed? The Bible says because he himself has now heard the report believer brother sister whoever's listening to me today I want to remind you something it's not wrong to be upset with what's going on around us but in the middle of the complaining in the middle of the talking to God in the middle of the prayers always remind your soul to be redirected to talk back to God and remind yourself of the goodness and the faithfulness of God it's amazing how your soul can be calm. It's amazing how life can take a complete 180 when you remind yourself of good, of the goodness and the amazing presence of God in your lives. You know, moments of conflict have this way of sucking the joy out of any situation. It has a way of blocking out the good that exists. It has this tendency to blind us to the goodness of God. And it's amazing how as soon as he's come out of that time of complaining, his complaint has changed to a petition and he knows that Jehovah is not silent. That it's not in the character of God to look at his children and to look at the people and and, and the ones that he has created, his children, and turn a deaf ear to them. He just knows that his time has not yet come and what may seem to you as out of character of God and what is not in the character of God, God is reminding you, no, nothing has changed. I am always a God who will listen. It's just not I'm not listening to the way you want me to listen or the moment you want me to listen, but, but, but he's being reminded that Jehovah is Jehovah. He is God. He is able. Yahweh is still on the throne. Is this not the case in your life, in my life, when God reveals some aspect of truth about himself? When we, are, when we go into the scriptures and we study about God and who God is and how it relates to us, when God reveals some aspect of that truth to us, it often kindles in us this desire to know him more, right? When we, when we get that message from God, when we hear from God, it might be on a Sunday morning, it might be during a Bible study, man, it, it, it ignites this fire within us. That's why the Bible reminds us in Psalm 34, it says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. In all of our worries and in all of our pains, sometimes the church, I want to remind us, we got to pause and we got to just taste and remind ourselves of the goodness and the amazing power of God Almighty. So in verse number two, he says, man, Lord, I've heard your speech and I was afraid Oh, Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. He's asking for revival. In the midst of the years, make it known. It's notable because Habakkuk only has two petitions here. Revive your work and make it known and remember mercy. These are his two petitions. Habakkuk's fear of the coming judgment is genuine, but his knowledge of God's merciful character is equally genuine. And, and so he intercedes for his people. And the idea is this, Lord, I know that we deserve your wrath, but in the midst of your wrath, remember mercy and send revival among us. He's saying, Lord, I hope that we've not gotten too far. He's saying, Lord, I admit, Lord, that we have, we have pained you. We have hurt you. We have come a long way from where we should be God, but I pray God that you will send a revival among us. The moment we hear revival, there are different thoughts that come to your mind. The moment you hear revival, it's probably one of the biggest revivalists in, in America's history or the history of the United Kingdom or Christian history. There are big revivalists. We're thinking about Le- Leonard Ravenhill and the big revivalists of our, of our, of, of our times and before our times. But revival is not an event. Yeah. Revival is not something that happens under a tent. Revival is not something that you can just put together and print on a flyer and say, from this day to this day on, we're going to have revival. It's not something that you decide. This word is so polluted. I have a book that actually someone gave me when I was in Bible college, because he didn't want, to, he didn't want me to lose the fire of God within me. And he said, here's a book, it will teach you how to have a revival. I said, wait, what? Like, I got to read this book and then we can, I could just have it, like I can host a revival and revival will happen. And he said, yup, but that's far from the truth. (laughs) Revival is not scripted. You know what revival is? Revival is the restoration of life and vitality. True revival needs to begin inside of people within the church. It needs to begin with people that are sitting over here. We can't expect revival to break out within the country or a nation or a city or a state without individuals opening their eyes and saying, God, we need to be revived. I need to be revived. There needs to be a reviving that needs to happen within me. See, revival sees a remarkable sense of the presence of God. It replaces everything else that has presence in your life, and it replaces that with the presence of God. That's when revival happens. There's an unusual interest in the things of God and people that's seeking revival. Haven't you been there in your life where, man, you go through that that season in your life where you've been through hard times, you've been through tough times, you've been through unbelieving times, but suddenly you get this desire within you to be in the presence of God, to to not leave the presence of God. David was there once. He said, Lord, if there's one desire that I have, he says, I do not want to leave from your presence, Lord. Take me not away from your presence. I want to be in your holy temple that is revival. It is the stirring up of the heart to the things of God. You know, you see that in those times that people would rather be in the presence of God and be at church and bring their kids to church and just about anything else that has to do with God rather than replacing that with all other recreational activities. Here's what revival is. Can I tell you what revival is? Revival one is God's work. That's what Habakkuk says. He says, God, this is yours. He says, "Uh, Lord, I have heard your speech and I was afraid. Verse number two, Lord, revive your work. Revival is not our work. Revival doesn't grow in the personal gain or fame of people or revivalists. It doesn't grow with individuals or movements or congregations or denominations that claim fame and gain. Revival starts when you and I pause, close our eyes in the presence of God, and we do a self check. That's when revival starts. It wasn't the work of man. I've made the mistake of saying, Lord, use me as a revivalist back when I was starting preaching and I was, you know, wanting to move and, and, and do things for God. I said, God, I want to be like so-and-so and I want to be like so-and-so. I want to be. But God doesn't depend upon me. When there's a group of people that come into the presence of God and say, God, we need you. I need you. My family needs you. We're strayed far away. That is when revival happens. True revival is evident. Point number two. He says, Lord, and make it known. Revival should be evident. Revival is about the stirring of hearts. What happened in Wales 100 years ago? What's going to happen? What happened in Pensacola? What happened in all these cities? What's going to happen when, when, when God says, man, in 2021 or 2022, I don't know what year it is. I don't know when it is, but when hearts are stirred and, and when we as a group and a congregation and a people and a city and a state rise up and say, God, we need to see the kingdom come. Revival is marked by the acts of God, not by the act of man. Not men. man makes decisions or put together meetings and put together gather a tent, you can have a three-day revival, and God does not have to be there. You can pray for people, you can shake their heads, they can roll on the floor, they can fall on the ground, they can jump up and down, worship and music can be amazing, but God doesn't have to be there. God shows up when there's true, genuine repentance what is revival revival is a product of mercy he says that he says lord what does that verse say that the last part of that verse he says revive your work in the midst of the years in the midst of the years make it known in wrath remember mercy god let there be mercy that rings i mean if you look at exodus 33 where moses looks at god and says god show me your glory that was moses asking for revival we see 1 Samuel chapter 7, revival in the, times of, in the times of Samuel, where people are gone away from God, they're strayed away from God, and God raises this young man, this young boy in the middle of all the sin that exists. There was this one young boy that God raises for revival. In 2 Kings 22, it's King Josiah. In Jonah chapter number 3, when farm animals start repenting and putting on sackcloth, man, that is revival. When John the Baptist preaches and massive people hear him and were converted. Not, oh man, I don't like what he's wearing. I don't like how he looks. He doesn't look like a revivalist. He doesn't look like a man of God. He doesn't look like he fits in. No, no, no. It was more than the person. It was God doing what he does best. It was the message. And when hearts were cut through, God said, this is a place that I can work. And God starts moving in that place. Revival is when 3,000 plus people converts and says, God, we want more than what we're experiencing. We want more than religion. Revival is in Acts chapter 2 when the outpouring of the Holy Spirit happens and sinners were saved. And they come come asking, what should I do to be saved? How? how, What? What what, what do I do? That's when revival happens. You know when, when revival happens in Acts chapter 19, verse 17 to 20, when this became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus... They were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. You know when revival is going to happen? Is when we realize that that the name of Jesus should be before every other name. Many of those who believed, when revival happens is when people will start believing, now came and openly confessed what they had done. You know when revival happens? is when people are not ashamed to come into the presence of God and say, I messed up when people are willing to take their masks off when people are willing to put their facades down and their costumes down and this thing that they put on, the show that they put on to, to live the best Christian life or, hey brother, how you doing? I'm doing amazing. God is good all the time but all the time, God is good and the smile on the face and and some of us need to humble ourselves and say, Lord, I may not have it all together and and when we come to the altar and we say I messed up and, and I appreciate that when people in this church, trust me, trust me as their pastor and say, Pastor, I need prayers. I need this. I did this or I did that and I need I you to pray for me today. I'm messed up. And they need God to do something in my life. They openly confess what they're done. Verse 19, a number of them who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burnt them in public. All of y'all that practice sorcery. We all need to bring our scrolls. I don't know what that means to us, but whatever form or way that we are worshiping other gods than God himself, where God says, you will not worship any other God, and that's entertainment. That's all the stuff that we resort to. When we bring that into the presence of God, that's what the Bible is saying. When they, when, when, when they, they, in verse 20, in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. And for the next 13 verses of chapter number three, Habakkuk remembers the great things God has done. Here's where I want to pick up today. The huge victories, the power, the might of God, his miracles, the way God provided for them and saved them. Time after time, he saved them. Habakkuk is saying, Lord, you know what? I know you're here. And you know how I can confirm that? Because of what I'm about to say. And over the next 10 verses, listen to what he says, and I'm going to read it in its entirety. He says, "I see God moving across the deserts from Edom, the Holy One coming from Mount Paran. His brilliant splendor fills the heavens, and the earth is filled with his praise. His coming is as brilliant as a sunrise. Rays of light flash from his hands when his awesome power is hidden. Pestilence marches before him; plague follows close behind." When he stops, the earth shakes. When he looks, the nations tremble. He shatters the everlasting mountains and levels the eternal hills. He is the eternal one. I see the people of Kushan in distress and the nation of Midian trembling in terror. Was it in anger, Lord, that you struck the rivers and parted the sea? Were you displeased with them? No, you were sending your chariots of salvation. Verse 9, you brandished your bow and your quiver of arrows. You split open the earth with flowing rivers." The mountains watched and trembled, onward swept the raging waters, the mighty deep cried out, lifting its hands in submission. The sun and the moon stood still in the sky as your brilliant arrows flew and your glittering spear flashed. You marched across the land in anger and trampled the nations in your fury. You went out to rescue your chosen people, you save your anointed ones. You crushed the heads of the wicked and strip their bones from head to toe. Yes God, we're going through pain yes God we have sinned yes God we have walked away from the glory of God but that does not change the fact God that you are a still a good God you are still a faithful God and I cannot ignore what you have done yesterday and so today in part number six of this study of Habakkuk I want to talk to you about the precedence and the unprecedented and the unprecedented work of God the precedented and the unprecedented work of God. He says, man, Lord, he takes a moment after all the complaining and all the pain and all the cloudiness has disappeared. He takes a moment, he stops, and he says, Lord, you know what? Let me take a second to think about this. And he goes back and he says, Lord, I remember, God, when we were in Egypt, God, you rescued us through the plagues, God. God, I remember when you guided your people by fire and by a cloud, Lord. Come on, am I talking to somebody? And I remember when you fed us with bread from heaven, when we didn't know when our next meal was going to come from. You were Jehovah Jireh, God. He's reminding himself of the God of covenant. Come on, somebody. This morning, some of us need to stop in our tracks of counting all the things that are going on wrong around us and say, God, I want to take a moment to remember the God of covenant and his name is Yahweh. He said, Lord, I remember. I'm sorry, God, my bad. I remember, Lord, when the waters parted and we walked right through God. Oh, come on, somebody. Who can remember of that time when you saw the waters raging in front of you, and the flood waters were about to eat you and your family up, but you stood there, and you asked God, God, would you come through for me? And out of nowhere, he swooped down and took you up in his everlasting arms, and you didn't even know there was waters in front of you. You walked right through it, and his arm rescued you, and he's reminding you that, and he's saying, I am Yahweh. I am the covenant-keeping God. Though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I I will be with you he says and Habakkuk takes a moment and reminds himself yes Lord I remember and he says God when we were done with that we thought it was over how many of y'all have been through that where you thought that the the Red Sea was done and, and God was like nope here you go another one it's not a sea it's a river but God it's the same thing it doesn't matter I'm with you He didn't say that he's going to take away the sea. He says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to part it for you. I'm going to do what I did yesterday. My God is a God of precedence. If he said it yesterday, come on, somebody. If he said it yesterday, he's going to do it again today. He's a God of precedence. He says, I remember, Lord, when you shook the earth and the walls came tumbling down. I remember, God. He says, when, when, when in, in Gideon, when you made the stand, sun stand still. And I remember when you used the torrential rains to defeat the enemy. I remember when you used pestilence and plagues to bring the enemy down. I remember, God. Hey, we are in this real difficult situation, but... I'm not going to forget what you've done, Lord. I'm not going to pretend to forget your goodness. Remember what God has done for you, church. Fathers and mothers, I want you to, I want you to do this. I want you all to talk to your children and tell them stories about God's faithfulness. It is so vital and so important that you stop your children in their tracks, how blessed they are and in and, and all the blessing that they go through. It's important to pause sometimes. And tell them of what a good God you serve. You give them a reason as to why we go to church and why we pray and why we take time to pray before our meals and why. Don't just pray. Don't just teach them how to pray. Tell them why we do it and tell them it is because We are nothing without God and he was there with us yesterday when we had nothing and he's with us when we have everything. And because of that, how can we help it but to praise God? We can't help it. We can't help it. We can't help it. And the point is, you and I can do the same as Habakkuk. When life is hard and I'm waiting on God to do something about it, I need to remember what God's done in the past for me and others and then ask him, Lord, would you do it again? Remember that, take a moment today, and then use that as presidents. You know, that's what lawyers do sometimes. That's what judges do sometimes when they have to make big decisions in big cases. They will go through their law books and they will go through history of cases that have been ruled in favor and not in favor of certain individuals and in certain cases. And they will go back and they, uh, you know, and, and, and they will say, okay, this, ju- this judge 10 years ago ruled in favor of this person going through a very similar thing. And hence, that is precedence for me to rule in the exact same way. Some of us need to have the boldness to stand up and look at God and say, God, the word of God tells me. How do you trust God's faithfulness? A, I'm going to give you two points and we're going to close, okay? A, by trusting God's, faith, trusting God's faithfulness, you need to, A, declare precedent. Someone say declare precedent. Like I said, precedent refers to this court decision that is considered as an authority for deciding subsequent, subsequent cases involving identical or similar facts or similar legal issues. In the United States legal system, precedent requires courts to apply the law in the same manner to cases with the same facts. Because it's all under one umbrella. And in Hebrews chapter number 13 and verse number 8, the Bible reminds us of something that has a lot to do with precedence. And this is what it reminds us. It says, Jesus Christ is the same. Come on, somebody shout it out. Yesterday, today, and forever. Some of us, we need to remind ourselves. We need to remind our wives, we need to remind our husbands, we need to remind our families, we need to remind each other in church that man, if God came through for us yesterday, and he provided for us yesterday, and he was a God that was everything, he was Yahweh yesterday, he didn't change his identity, no one stole his identity, he is the same unchanging God yesterday. Come, someone say amen this morning. Because when you're in spiritual warfare and you think that you're not going to make it, you know what precedence is? Precedence is Luke chapter 10 and verse 19 that says, Behold, I will give you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. That is your precedence. When you have that medical condition and you see no hope, you know what your your precedence is? Luke chapter 9 and verse 1. Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure all diseases. And in the name of Jesus, he gives you that authority to speak to your sickness, to speak to your shortcoming. And tell it in the name of Jesus that you serve a God who is able to heal because he is a covenant keeping God. He is Yahweh. When your job gets overwhelming and people are plotting all around you and politics and job at work is driving you nuts. You have precedence where the Bible says no weapon formed against you will prosper. And every tongue that will rise against you in judgment shall be condemned. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. That, Lisa, is my precedence. When my strength is zapped and I don't have the strength to go on anymore, my precedence is Philippians 4.13 that reminds me that I can do all things through Christ Jesus who gives me strength. And Zechariah 4 and verse 6 which says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. Sorry, Psalms 28.7. And Zechariah 4.6 that says, Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And when you feel like your back is up against a wall and you're cornered, 2 Samuel chapter 22 and verse 2 reminds you that the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer, the God of my strength. In Him I will trust my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior. You will save me from, from, from violence. When you remind yourself of God's faithfulness, you don't need to remind God. He knows. He knows He's a faithful God. Habakkuk is just reminding himself here. He's saying, Lord, my bad. My bad, Lord. When you remind yourself of God's faithfulness, you cannot help but be uplifted. And that is exactly what David is saying. The Lord is the light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? You know what the word salvation means over there? The word salvation here also can be translated delivered. And the psalmist is saying, because God delivered me before I fear not the present because God was a stronghold for me in the past. I do not fear the future because God acted on my behalf in the past. No matter how bleak it may look, how impossible it may look, he will act on my behalf in the future. Worship team, would you get ready? I want to see if Alex can sing that, that, that prophetic voice over us one more time, if that's possible, because that's what we need to talk about today. If he did it yesterday, he'll do it again today. If I saw it yesterday, God, give me faith to believe that you are able, you are powerful, and you're going to do it again today. You're going to come through for me. Because you know what Psalms 27, verse 13 to 14 says? I remain confident of this. Stand up to your feet, church. I remain confident of this. He says, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord... In the land of the living, wait for the Lord, be strong, and take heart. And he reminds us again, wait for the Lord. But what gets me is that, that, that first phrase, and that phrase is, oh, this is good. He says this, I remain confident of this. Oh, come on. Commission church. I pray that we will be able to be men and women of valor. That come what may, that we will resolve to say, I will remain confident of him. My trust is in God. That even though I don't see goodness, I will see goodness. Even though my circumstances say that it's not good, my God is still good. Remind my soul, wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart. So, how do you trust in God's faithfulness? One is declare precedent. Two, don't just be content with the precedent, believe in the unprecedented. That's what a believer does. Here's here's where I'm going to shock you and make you think for a second. It's easy for the Christian, for the believer, to get carried away in the precedented, in the expected. Am I talking to someone? And it's biblical. It's very biblical to say, Lord, you did it yesterday and you're able to do it again. But here's the thing with that. It's also biblical for God to be the God of unprecedented miracles. That's what God things means. And the reason I got excited about this message today is this is our theme for this year. And we've been seeing God things. Lisa's sister is is healed from cancer in Jesus' name. How many of y'all, come on, somebody, put your hands together. Give God the glory. Amen. God is amazing. And and that's just one, we're going to hear more testimonies. We're in the process of recording some testimonies here over the next few weeks. And I believe we're going to start producing them because we're we're hearing different people from different places. And man, prayer works. Amen. I don't know if you know that or not, but prayer. (laughs) But here's what I want to leave you with. In getting caught up with the precedented and the expected, right, Jeff? We have to ask ourselves, what about the unprecedented? Don't, Don't get caught up in the precedented that you ignore the unprecedented hand of God. God thinks what we're talking about. Because we're a church, we... We believe in signs and wonders and miracles and God says, I will do that. I believe the scripture commands us to do more than repeat what's already been done and to look for God to do what he's never done before. Come on, somebody. That takes another level of faith to say, God, I don't need to see it to believe it, but this might sound outrageous and this might defy medical science and this might go against everything that people believe in or think could happen. But guess what? You're a God of the unprecedented. Come on, somebody. We need some faith in this room today that when we hear people say, hey, pray for this and pray for this, don't just sit back and say, oh, you know what? Let's pray for it. No, no, no. I need some people to believe in faith, like like literal, strong faith, and say it might sound ridiculous, but my God is a God of unprecedented miracles. Come on, somebody. You better understand this. You know, there's this wholesale rejection of all things new. When people hear of something that has never happened, or hear of things that, oh, it's, it's weird. You're like, oh, no, I, eh, weird. Raise eyebrows. You reject it, reject it or you claim that it's without biblical precedent or to undermine the Bible itself. But you know what that's being? That's being legalistic. That's not believing for miracles and signs and wonders. The Bible precedent is that God does things that are unprecedented. I'm going to say that one more time. The Bible precedent is that God we serve a God who does things that are unprecedented. Everything that is off precedent today was impossible once upon a time. Come on, am I talking to somebody? For example, I don't know what those people who gathered in the upper room were expecting to experience, but Acts chapter two verses one to four was unprecedented. Never ever heard of in Joshua 10 and 13 when the sun stood still no one had ever heard of it they just stood there and was like what's going on over here and Joshua was like God thinks come on somebody when the walls fell and when the trumpets blew they were like what trumpets could do that like what when Philip teleported in Acts 8 for crying out loud come on somebody all unprecedented. Here's the thing. God is God. He doesn't need precedents. He sets them. For those of you all who who just yawned at that time I didn't hear that. I'm going to say that one more time. Okay? God is God. He doesn't need a precedent. He sets precedents and he says, "What I say will happen and if I put it into motion, it will come to pass because I am Yahweh, I'm the covenant keeping God." I don't know what you're expecting and praying for but as a church we believe in the impossible and today I'm going to believe as we are worshiping in a little bit right now we're going to pray for the impossible to happen I don't know if you're ready here but I'm pumped right now we're going to hear some miracles we're going to hear some testimonies because here's the thing in Ephesians 3 20, 21 you want to hear this This is what the Bible says. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That is unprecedented. To him who is able to do far more. Look at the neighbor sitting next to you and say, get ready for the unprecedented. let me let you in on something okay like Brandon Lake says I've seen metal plates dissolve okay I've experienced and witnessed God doing things in lives of his people that are new and certainly aren't replicas of how he moved in the Bible And guess what? Pause there for a second. I won't lie. When it happens, it makes me very uncomfortable. My mind starts racing. I'm scanning the Bible in Habakkuk and Hebrew and and, and James and John. And I'm I'm, I'm saying, Lord, I need a precedent. I want, because I'm a Bible-believing church. When I can't find one, I've got some questions to ask. I don't dismiss them. But I got some questions to ask. Does this in any way contradict or undermine scripture? Question number one. Question number two, is this incongruent with what the Bible teaches about how God moves in the lives of his people? And question number three, is there something in me or the people that I trust that feels unsettled? The operative word here is discernment. Am I using discernment in this moment? If the answer is no on all counts, then maybe this isn't something to fear. And maybe God is following the precedent. He is very clearly set in the scripture and that he is just doing something new. Certainly God can do. And God has always done in the past. And God is able to do something new. And his word says, behold, I will do something new. That thing that you're going through in your family, nobody in your family has ever experienced that. You've not had a history of it. People are probably looking down on you and wondering what's going on. But unprecedented God things this year. I want to claim that in your life. Thank you for listening. We love bringing you the word on so many different platforms. We are so thankful for what God is doing in and through us. We'd love for you to subscribe so you don't miss out. And don't forget to share this message if it has blessed you.